Would you please join me as I pray? We are very grateful, God, that you speak. And we're thankful that you have spoken in many times and in many ways through prophets and people that have contributed to the scriptures, but ultimately you've spoken finally and completely in your son, Jesus. I'm asking in this season where we're hungering for you together as a family and where we're setting our gaze on you as we launch out into the study of the book of Hebrews, would you help us to in our bones believe that Jesus, you are better better than anything else that claws at our attention or our affection. No one and no thing compares to you. Would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would see appropriately, that we would see it and believe it, that Jesus, you are better. So you are invited here. Come and speak to your children. We are ready to hear from you. Give us ears to hear. Help us to be eager and ready to respond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I just prayed, we're starting a new series this week. So if you're new, welcome. You've come at a good time. We're starting a new series that will take us through the whole of the book of Hebrews, a New Testament epistle. And uh, this is going to be a journey that I believe will be faith increasing and faith expanding for us as a family. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's an anonymous book and we don't know who this author was writing to. Those are two mysteries that are lost on us in church history that are not provided for us in the text itself. But what we do know is this. There's an author that is writing to a people that he has great affection for. And as he's writing to them, He is helping them survey their world and they are first century Jewish Christians and as Jewish Christians, he's gonna enter into their world and he's gonna survey everything that might invite them to build their lives upon it. Saying, you you might trust in or be fascinated with angels or you might think that the law is going to deliver you or you might think that the sacrificial system in the temple is going to deliver you and he's going to systematically work through everything that they might think has power and might have an ability to deliver the good life or the the secure life to them and over every single one of them he's going to go Jesus is better than that oh well Jesus is better than that Jesus is better and for Our purpose is together. We're gonna track along behind them and labor to understand what it would have been like to be a first century Jewish Christian to receive this. But I think the the message would be no different to 21st century Christians living in Houston, Texas, uh, that a systematic exploration of everything that we might be fascinated with or attracted to and to in our own heart say, ah, Jesus is far better I think it's so appropriate that in a season of fasting and prayer, we're directing our attention now to the book of Hebrews because ultimately, as we hunger for God, what we're asking is that he would be enthroned properly in our hearts, that we would really see him as we hunger for him. So this is the journey that we are on. This morning, in chapter one of Hebrews, we're going to see that he, he, the author starts in a place that maybe we didn't start this week. We haven't been thinking about this necessarily, but There seems to be a fascination in first century Judaism with angels. 
We see it in the book of Colossians. It shows up again here. It seems that people are really fascinated with angels. And so we're gonna see in chapter one that he's gonna say, though angels are amazing, Jesus is far better. We're gonna try to discern what that, what that might look like and mean for us together. So let's talk about angels and the way that Jesus is even better than angels. You with me? We ready for this journey together? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Those of you fasting, the fasting making you tired? Yeah. I know, it's, I know it's not all, but many, yeah. Okay, here we go. First, let's just talk a little bit about angels. I think it's helpful to set the context for what's going on. Angels are amazing. They show up all throughout the scriptures. They are real. They are present in the world. They are messengers of God that have had access to the presence of God. There's a set number of angels. It's a large number and we don't want know what it is, but probably tens of millions. Fiery creatures that when they show up, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid. Because just their very presence causes fear in the hearts of people. They have been near to the presence of God and for that they carry his radiance and his power in a special way. They are messengers of God. They are worshipers of God. When When God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, it says he was in the presence of 10,000 fiery ones. It says in Deuteronomy 32. When Daniel was in the pit with the lions, it was an angel that closed the mouth of the lion because angels quake in fear when angels show, I mean, pardon me, lions quake in fear when angels show up as well. Angels have authority, they have power, they have beauty, and they are these amazing fiery creatures that this text tells us in all of their power and their beauty they're dispatched for our good and for our purpose that they serve us under God's care let me just show you in this text I'm going to highlight what we learn about angels in this text to set the context and then we'll work it together to see how he's showing that that Jesus is better but look at verse 7 and verse 14 of chapter 1 in Hebrews It says this, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Most theologians say that this commentary on the psalm that's being quoted here means that they move like the wind. They're fast. You don't know when they're coming or going. You can't necessarily see them. And they're like fire. They're like like bolts of lightning, powerful and strong. They're fierce and fiery. And then at the conclusion of the text in verse 14, he's gonna say this, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So the context that the author is placing, he's saying, let me tell you, you Hebrews, the people that he's writing to are fascinated with angels, we're gonna see in this text. And he's going, I get it. They move like the wind. They're fiery and they're powerful. We know that they were with God on Mount Sinai. They've closed the mouths of lions and God has dispatched them for your benefit. That's amazing. Angels are amazing. Angels are present right here in this room, by the way. The people of God gather to worship. This is something that angels are interested in they crane their necks to see humanity come to salvation in Jesus they celebrate when one makes a profession of faith angels are present they're powerful they've been dispatched by the father for your care and your benefit I think at the outset what we have to realize is angels are amazing and we need to feel the love of the father as we consider what they're doing powerful creatures unseen to the human eye that are caring for us tending to us, watching over us. I think someday, if you could replay the reel of your life, 
God will show you all the ways that he was protecting you and providing for you and tending to you by unseen powerful beings that were dispatched from his hand. Angels are amazing. What we're going to see in this text is that Jesus is far better. And I want to work the text methodically and see that the author is going to be showing us there are lots of fast and fiery and powerful things that clawed our attention, but Jesus should be enthroned above them. And this week, it, it may not be that you've been thinking, I'm tempted to worship angels, but I will tell you this, we all walk through life being enamored with the fast and the fiery and the powerful. Trying to lay hold of something that will give us power and comfort and status. And it may look different for all of us if he were writing this letter to the 21st century Houstonians. But the truth is that he would put his finger on it. What the author's putting his finger on is what is fast and fiery and powerful that you think gives you control and safety in the world? It's like whatever that thing is, let me show you some reasons why Jesus is, is far grander. And I want to explore those reasons together today with our time. Five reasons that Jesus is far better than the angels dispatched from the hand of God and anything else fiery and powerful that you're trying to lay hold of. Five reasons. Let's see if we can make sense of them with the text. The first is this. He is God's complete word to you. He is God's completed word to you. Look back at verse 1 and 2a that was read over us. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Is it not amazing to you that God is so eager to communicate with you? What the author of Hebrews is saying is that God has been speaking in many times and in many ways by all of these prophets because he wants you to know him. He wants to make himself known to his people. And so slowly and persistently and creatively, God has been speaking through a vast array of voices throughout time. But he says, now his final revelation has come in his son, Jesus. He says he has spoken in a more complete and a full way through Jesus. In essence, it's like the language of God is finally really known. It's really heard. Jesus is God's heart translated so that we can receive it and understand it. Nine years ago, I was serving at First Presbyterian Church and a young guy came to worship for the first time. He had just moved from uh, Equatorial Guinea. And so he spoke Spanish as a first language. He spoke very little English, just a few uh, broken sentences in English. As it turns out, I speak English and I have a few broken sentences in Spanish. And, uh, but I could tell he was trying to make his way and trying to find, you know, felt somewhat uncomfortable. So I said, hey, why don't you and I go to lunch? I said it in broken Spanish and he responded in broken English, but we made it work. So we got in the car, we drove to lunch. The conversation was very stilted, a little bit awkward. We were both trying, you know, <laughs> trying to get to know one another. But we sat at Mia's and had a hamburger and hung out for nearly an hour through all of the uncomfortableness. The beauty is that almost nine years later, he's still living in the States. He came to do English immersion and then to study at U of H to get his degree. He now has gotten his degree. He's still here. And what has happened is every six months or so, we would get together again 
and the conversation would deepen and it was growing richer. And, and the beautiful thing is he's become a dear friend. He came to know and love Jesus in a real way that he had never known and he did so in English. In, in the ministry that we were participating in and, and he continued to kind of expand and explore this faith that he was finding and now we share our hearts with one another. When we get together, it's like being with a long lost friend. We embrace one another, we catch one another up with what's going on. In many ways, I think this reality is, is, is similar to what God has been doing. He has an eagerness to communicate but we haven't shared a language. And in, Jesus, and in Jesus, God has made the fullness of his language known. And I just think about my friend Carlos, that in order to learn a language, the best way we all know to learn a language is immersion. <laughs> Listen, God wants to speak directly to your heart. He wants to, you to know his love for him. He has dispatched angels to care for you, but in that you can't fully receive his love. In Jesus, the fullness of his language is known, and the best way for you to experience that language is immersion. As you immerse yourself in Jesus, the language of God will make more and more sense. The love of God will flood your heart. He is God's final word to you. The first reason that Jesus is far superior to angels and any other flashy or powerful thing your heart might be drawn to is he's God's final word to you. You can know who God is and what he's like and what he's saying to you by immersing yourself in Jesus. The second thing that this text is gonna show us, why is Jesus far better? He is the son slash king who rules the wise. The son slash king. I think this is an important note. I want, I'm gonna show to you in the text that he's gonna say, Jesus has a name that is far grander than the name given to the angels. He's gonna say this in verses four through six, but I want you to listen for it. He's gonna quote a couple of Old Testament passages where a Davidic king is being brought to the throne and you see that in enthronement ceremonies, God's word over the king is you are my son. And the idea was that God was saying the, the king is his particular representation for the people. He was saying, you're like my own son. It was a, a sign of royalty. And I want you to hear that this is one of the things that sets Jesus apart from the angels, even in all of their power and beauty. Hear it with me in verses four through six. It says, he has become, having become, this is talking about Jesus, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Which raises the question, okay, what name is more excellent than theirs? And then he gives us a grounds clause for, he's gonna explain this idea. He's gonna prove this idea to us. For, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him as a father and he shall be to me a son. The second reason that, that the text gives that Jesus is far better than the angels is that he has been called son and that literally is a, is a name of royalty. He's been set up as the king with all authority. If we were to go and study that Psalm 2 in context where that verse is being quoted to us, we would see that he is the king that rules for all the wise. It says those that resist the king, his, his authority is gonna be devastating for them. But he says to those who quake before the king, who worship the king and who kiss the son, a sign of affection and devotion, he says his reign will be blessing upon blessing. You see, the second reason that Jesus is far better is he's the king who calls the shots. 
As you immerse yourself in the language of God, you start to hear the voice of Jesus. The second step is that he's saying, and by the way, that voice is radically authoritative. So as as you have become acquainted with Jesus, whether that happened a long time ago or that's happening in your heart right now as you're linking into this community and finding something vibrant and different than you've known previously, if your heart's coming alive to Jesus, listen, the invitation is not to respond like the fool that hears the voice of the one who's making God's heart known and then goes, that's nice, and carries on with their life. But he's saying, no, 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 no. His name is different than the angels. He is the royal one. He is the king. This voice, this language that you're learning has radical authority. Listen, right now, whether we want to say it's true or not, whether we want to live like it's the case or not, Jesus is on a throne and everything is under his feet, and he has all the authority. He has it all. What he's saying is, would you, would you learn his voice, and would you submit to him like the king that he is? Jesus is far better because he's the final revelation of God. He is his word. He is also the sun king who rules. But thirdly, beautifully, he is God. <laughs> He keeps ratcheting it up. He goes, he is God's word revealed. He is the king on the throne that God says, you're like my own child. And he goes, and by the way, he is God. He is God. He's gonna make this really plain in this passage. There are two words in verse three that I wanna show you that show up only here in the New Testament. Whoever this author of the Hebrews is, he is creative, uh, writes with a unique voice, using words that haven't been used anywhere else in the New Testament pretty frequently. Um, I like, well, I won't tell you my, my, I think it's Apollos. I don't know if any of you care. Uh, <laughs> as I keep reading, that, that just makes me happy to think that it's Apollos, the silver-tongued preacher of the New Testament that gets trained up by Priscilla and Aquila because I just think he's got a command on the language. He's a preacher. The whole thing reads like this beautiful Christ-centered sermon. So anyway, I think it's Apollos. All right, get it right. There you go. Verse three. There's two words in this verse that don't show up anywhere else. He says, he is the radiance, that's one of them. He is the radiance of the glory of God and he is the exact imprint of his nature. That word for exact imprints and the word for radiant, the only time they show up. He's using creative and fresh language. The exact imprint, the word is character, it literally means like an engraver's ring, like a king's ring that when he stamps it into the wax and he pulls it away, you look at the wax and you look at the ring and you go, yep, that's exactly what's here because it was stamped. It's a higher level, it's, it's higher even than icon, which means to be made in the image of God. It's the character, it's actually the exact stamp of God. And that, he is so marked by the presence of God, He's, it's the same thing. And then he uses this term, radiance. I love this term, the radiance of the glory of God. It's like the sunbeam of God. Think about it with me for a second. Do you know that the the sun is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit? And up until just a few years ago, they thought the closest we could get to the sun was 27 million miles away. We're 93 million miles away. They thought we would be incinerated at 27 million miles. Over the last almost 40 years, a lot of great thought and energy and growth in our understanding of the world and the way that they're 
strengthening our technology and space, they now say with all of the new technology and growth, we could get four million miles away before being incinerated, scientists think. So decades of all the most brilliant minds thinking how could we get close, they're like four million miles. I'm like, we're getting close. Uh, The heat and the power of the sun, we don't have access to it. We, we We can't go to the sun. Four million miles out with all of the best technology protecting us, we would be incinerated. But yesterday, I went for a walk with my family. Many of you know my my youngest son is now home. We're rejoicing about that. And it was one of Cruz's first times to go out. The sun was out. My little boy who's been struggling to breathe, he's, he's a weak little guy, you know? His lungs are still developing. His ability to swallow is still developing. But we were walking with him in a stroller and we pulled the visor back and he turned his face to the sun and it was warming him and it was like a welcomed reality. And what I realized is like, ah, like that's Jesus. The presence of God is so startling and so overwhelming that four million miles out, like we just can't handle it. But Jesus says, I will make the warmth and the presence and the reality of the Father known to you that the weakest and the smallest can bathe in it. (laughs) He's so far superior to the angels because he is so present in his warmth to even the lowliest and the weakest. You see, he's the word of God. He is the king ruling with power. He is God himself making the glory and the warmth and the beauty of the Father known. We even feel the tension as he talks about it in verses eight and nine. In a sense, he's talking to first century Jewish believers and he's saying, I'm making this claim that he's the exact imprint of God, that he is God, that the Messiah is God. And he's anticipating that first century Jews might go, no, 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 that can't be. And he goes, well, just read the text. And he points them back to one of their texts in Psalm 45, and he does so in verse eight and nine. Look, he says this. Of the son, he says, your throne, O God. So he's pointing them to a psalm that's talking about the messianic king on the throne, and he says, he's called God in the Old Testament. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is talking about the Messiah king. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Do you hear how odd that second phrase in verse nine is? He's helping them feel the tension in their own text. The one on the throne has been called God, but then he says, and by the way, God, your God, to which the close reader is going, well, who's God? The one on the throne or the one above the throne? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) What he's helping them see is that the, the seedlings of the Trinity and the truth about the divinity of the Messiah has been present even from the Old Testament. This isn't an invention that this preacher or the New Testament apostles are coming up with. He's going, this has always been the case. We just finally have the full language of God revealed in the Son, Jesus. We can finally hear what he's always been saying to us. He is God. Fourth, he created and he carries you. Why is Jesus far better than the angels or anything fiery and powerful that your heart longs for? Because he created you and he carries you. Let me show it to you in the text. Let me show it to you. Look at verse two 
in 3a. This is where he makes the claim, and then he's gonna prove it from an Old Testament text again. Look at 2 and 3a. He says, in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Upholds could mean carries. So you see, at the end of verse two, he created the world. In verse three, he carries the world. That includes you and everything else in the universe. So if we're just sitting before this and receiving it over our own heart to start, like what we can realize is, okay, Jesus knit me together. He was involved in the creative act of God to bring humanity into being. And listen, it is by the power of his word, moment to moment, that you continue to be held together. If Jesus ceased to will your existence or my existence actively by the power of his word, we would, like Thanos, you know? It's just, he has the power in his word. He is actively upholding every cell in the cosmos because he wills it and he wants it. We would come apart if it weren't for him. And he says, let me prove it to you. Look at the way that the Messiah King is talked about in Psalm 102. And verses, so verses 10 through 12, he's proving this claim. He says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and will have no end. He's saying that the heaven and the earth to the Messiah God King, he's saying that they are like laundry day. You know, like the whole existence of the span of the history of of the physical world. That one day it is going to be transformed and purified and made into the new heavens and the new earth. And he says on that day it's gonna be like laundry day. It's like at the end of the day when you take off your shirt and you throw it in the laundry basket and it gets washed and purified. He's going, He is as durable as compared to the world as you are to your laundry. You follow the analogy he's going, he's gonna roll it up and he's gonna put a new robe on. The way that he interacts with the world, he said he has upheld it by his word and one day he will refresh it when the time comes and he will remain through it all. I don't know how you think about Jesus Some of us struggle on one end or the other. He's man and he's God. And some of us, it's easiest to think like, Jesus is is my best bud. He walks with me and he talks with me. And that's true, he does. Some of you think he's cosmic I think what we're, what we're settling on is for those who struggle to view him in all of his height and his beauty, Hebrews is going, come up here with me. It's good if you feel the intimacy of Jesus, but don't lose the fact that the one that you're walking with is the one who's holding the universe together by the power of his word. Enter in with the proper awe and the proper worship as you interact with and learn this language of God. Okay, to recap, why is Jesus better than angels and anything else fiery and powerful? It's because he's God's complete word to you. He is the sun king who rules. He is God. He is the creator who's carrying you. And lastly, lastly, listen. He has triumphantly secured rest for you. 
triumphantly and victoriously he has secured rest and it's for all those in his reign and in his rule let me show it to you look at verse 3c the third part of verse 3 we'll highlight it on the screen for you it says this after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high Every time I think about reading that phrase, he sat down, I think it should come with a big bass drop. It should be like, because this idea of the, the posture of Jesus in the heavenlies carries with it significant gravity and weight. What it's saying is he accomplished everything that God the Father had called him to do. He came and he made purification for sins through his life, his death, and his resurrection, and then he, he sat down and he is at glorious, divine rest. What this means is that when we turn and we see our Jesus seated on the throne, we're saying, ah, he is fully in control, not worried and not fretting. In Psalm 110, which will happen to be the Hebrews' author, his favorite text that we're gonna come to time and again, he quotes it in verse 13 at the end of this text to to draw to a close this idea that he's been building. He says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The angels, every time we read of them, they are never seated in God's presence. They are covering their eyes and they're covering their feet and they're at attention, ready to be dispatched for his purposes. They are at attention and they are quaking in fear, but Jesus is at rest. He is at repose in the presence of the king. And and what God is saying is, have you ever seen an angel like that? Have you ever seen an angel at rest in the presence of God? He's saying no, what he has done is he has triumphed and he has secured rest for all those that are in him. It is true, angels are amazing. They're really strong, they're fierce and fiery and powerful, and they've been dispatched by God to serve you. But listen, Jesus is far better. If angels are strong, he is far stronger. He is the word, he is the king, he is God, he is your creator sustaining you even now. And if the angels serve you, he has served you far better. This one with all of the power and all of the might came to make purification for your sins, saying, I will gladly give my life to rescue my children and call them back to myself. He's saying, no angel could do that or would do that, but he did do it, and now he is seated in his rest. And so the invitation, family, as we go on this journey to the book of Hebrews, is to turn our face towards Jesus to say like, we wanna see him in the fullness of his glory. Like, my precious little baby with his face raised to to the rays yesterday, like, warm me. Help me to see you for who you are because this is what will happen. If you can see that he has conquered every enemy of your soul, that he is actively sustaining you, that all of his enemies are being placed under his feet, that he is for your good, listen, you never have to fret again. You never have to worry again. You don't have to wring your hands and eat the bread of anxious toil ever again. We know who's on the throne. 
We are, as a community, learning what it means to be immersed in him and learn his language. Like as we see him for who he is together on this journey, we can find what it means to be souls at rest, souls that endure in the midst of hardship and persecution, which is what this book is about. It's gonna lead us into the places and say, no, 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 remember, look at him. You've got what it takes to be at soul at rest in the midst of all of the chaos because Jesus is better. Let me pray for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you convict us of sin where we are prone to put other people and things on the throne where we trust other people's voices more than we trust yours, where we think we hold all things together rather than trusting you to do that work. I pray that you would forgive us, humble us, help us to be appropriately small in your presence, King Jesus. Like small and needy and weak, yet filled by your love and your nearness. I pray that if anyone came in today not believing that Jesus is better, Holy Spirit, would you, would you give the gift of faith at a heart level that something would spark in them and they would go, ah, oh, I know that this is true. And that they would run to you and trust you, find new life and freedom in you. If that's you, do not delay. Come to King Jesus. He has made purification for your sins. He's made a way for you back to the presence of God. Come to him and by faith experience new life. To my brothers and sisters in the room, God, would you make it true that they would would see you and experience your rest in a deeper place in their bones. For all those that are worn out and anxious and full of toil, would they find their rest in King Jesus today? Jesus, it's in your holy, your precious, your high, and your exalted name that we pray. Amen and amen.